That song just never gets old, does it? Good to see you this morning. Welcome. Uh, if you are a guest of ours, it's my turn to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. I heard about a dad who picked up his son from the first grade. Little boy was getting in the car and the dad said, so what you learn in school today? Little boy said, we learned how to think the unthinkable. Dad thought, wow, that's, that's pretty deep for first grade. So he turned to his little boy and said, okay, so how do you think the unthinkable? Little boy said, with an iceberg. You think the unthinkable with an iceberg? That's actually a pretty good joke. You'll complain about it today, but this week you're going to tell somebody that joke. you ever asked somebody a question or had somebody ask you a question? And when you got down to the answer part of the question, you both realized, okay, we're not talking about the same thing, are we? We're not exactly on the same page. I'm talking about philosophy and you're talking about the Titanic, you know. I'm thinking about thinking the unthinkable and you're thinking about thinking ships. But, uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to see if we're on the same page. And it's a question that I get asked fairly often and I got a feeling you do too. You might not get this question as often as I do, since I'm a preacher, but I bet you still get asked this question fairly often. Here's the question. How are things going at church? You ever had anybody ask you that question? How are things going at church? Maybe you're the one asking that question. Maybe you don't care how things are going at church. I hope you do. How are things going at church? You know, in all honesty, I never know exactly how to answer that question. Because I never know exactly what they're asking. Are they asking, how's attendance? About well, 5%. Are they asking, how's the, the, the giving? Well, our, you know, our, our giving is up. Are they asking, is everybody getting along with each other? Are they asking, you know, how are you compared to other churches or other times in history? I never know exactly what people are asking when they say, how are things going at church? And to be quite honest, when someone asks me that question, I usually go directly to, to how are things going for me at church? Because there's a little bit of selfishness here. and I mean, I'm pretty me-centered, and I want things to go smoothly for me. And I want things to go well for me. Now, if I get to choose, I don't want to pick uh, setbacks and frustrations and heartache. I'll choose green grass and high tides, you know, blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. If I got the choice, that's what I'll choose. So I kind of answer that question as honestly as I can, but usually through the, the lens of, well, how are things going for me? How do I think things are going at church? The real question, though, really shouldn't be, what's my point of view? The real question ought to be, how does God think things are going at church? What's God think? What's God expect from us? The, the real question ought to be, God, how do you think things are going Right here, in Bay Area. And I want you to try to think in those terms this morning as we share some thoughts. And I'll, I'll share with you another question that was asked of me uh, not too long ago. It was, it was about church. There's a question I don't get that often, really. Someone asked me, Tim, what are your plans? What are your dreams? What are your goals? You know, professionally, spiritually, 
What are your goals? And I was a little bit evasive with the person that asked me the question. And it's not because I don't have plans and dreams and goals. It's not because I don't think in those terms, because I do all the time. I'm an INFJ. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a big picture kind of a personality. Come to my Wednesday night class and you'll know exactly what that means. That's right in my wheelhouse. The, the kind of dream dreams, you know, think big thoughts. But I was a little bit evasive to that person because I think what the person was looking for was a thing, a number, uh, an event, some measurable, tangible thing that we could look back and say, there, we met our goal. There, we've achieved, we've arrived, we've done it. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. In fact, we need that. We very much need tangible, meetable goals you know, to set before ourselves. Plan the work, work the plan. Robert Browning said, ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp for what is heaven for. Yogi Berra said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. I know all the cliches. And I agree with most of them. But for me, my, my spiritual goals are much more of a, a process than a product. Like I said, I know all the cliches. But that's really not a cliche, at least not for me. And you might say that's kind of a cop-out, but it really isn't. Because the older I get, the more focused I am on becoming rather than arriving, or growing rather than, than being. So let me take you to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Paul's talking to a bunch of Christians. He's certainly writing in big picture uh, processes. It's probably one of your favorites too. It's Philippians 2. Here's what he says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul was writing to Christians who were living in the town of Philippi, probably the first church in, in Europe. And he's saying, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Jesus, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in the community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you care, if you have a heart, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love one another. Be deep-spirited friends. Do for others. Don't be obsessed with having your own way all the time. Lend a helping hand. Now, let me back up and, and ask you my, uh, my, my better question again. How does God think things are going at church? What is God's expectations? What are God's goals? Now, I want to ask you a few more questions this morning. I've got a lot of questions this morning, but let me ask you a few more. First is this. Hmm. I'm going the wrong way. I'm not going the wrong way. There we go. How much has God blessed us as a church? How, how much have we been blessed? Not the church, this church. Which is, I hope, the church. How much have we been blessed? 
Remember Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Would we fit in the category of those who have been given much? Would we fit in the category of those who have been entrusted with much? You know, on a scale of, of zero to off the chart, how much have we been blessed here at Bay Area? Regardless of what variable you want to use, wouldn't you say we've been blessed off the chart? Now, you think about physically. We live in a free country. We have the freedom to live where we want. We have the freedom to worship as we like. A lot of people in the world don't have those kind of freedoms. This congregation, Bay Area, as far as education, financial resources, experience, relationships, the sheer energy level that we have here, the, the sheer talent level that's here at Bay Area, the ability to connect with people, awareness, technology. When you say we've been blessed off the charts on those levels, and then, oh boy, think about spiritually, to know Jesus, forgiveness, grace, mercy, access to the Word, understanding of God's will. Yeah, I think we would all agree we have been blessed off chart. However you want to describe, you know, whatever variable you want to use, we've been blessed off the chart. Next question. Did I skip, did I skip one? I probably did. Are you doing that or am I doing that? You're doing that. So this isn't even working. Has it ever worked since I've been working here? Is it ever? No, okay. Now it all makes sense, doesn't it? Thanks, Drek. We're on the same page now, at least. That's how you think the unthinkable, by the way. Yeah. Next question. I'm now, now my hands are free. This is great. Spiritual needs of our community. What are the spiritual needs of Central Florida? Would you say our community, our back door, you know, Hillsborough County, Pinellas, Pasco, Polk, wherever you call home, would you say everybody there is doing pretty well? Or would you say there are some significant needs you know, in, uh, in our back door? Spiritually, there's some, some, some significant needs. Peter says this. I've got verse three, uh, verse 4 on the uh, board there, but let me back up and read verse 3 to get some context. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter says God's given us everything we need to live the way God wants us to live. And then he says in verse 4, through, through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter tells us something that we really don't need an inspired writer to tell us. Newsflash, the world is corrupt. Newsflash, there's evil in the world. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. There's evil in, in the schools that your kids go to. There's evil in the workplace. The world's a dangerous place. The world is corrupt. What's the spiritual needs quotient? The, the community that we live in. Zero or off the charts. 
Now we could talk about it, and I could, I guess, give you some statistics, but I think we'd all agree, you know, the spiritual needs quotient is, is off the chart. There are people right outside our windows, right in our backyards, who don't know Jesus, who desperately need Jesus. And when God looks at Central Florida, He sees messed up families. He sees kids living in broken homes. He sees sexual immorality, greed, arrogance, violence. He sees a value system that's completely upside down. He sees people who don't know anything about Jesus. Yeah, the, the spiritual needs quotient of our neighborhoods, they're off the chart. So put the two realities together. What's God's dream for us? If we have been blessed off the chart, and if the spiritual needs around us are off the chart, what's God's dream for us? What's God's goal for us? You know, Scripture talks about God being a multiplier. That when people humbly bring God what they have, God multiplies that. You remember when Jesus was teaching a whole lot of people one day, they were hungry and all they could find was a little boy with a sack lunch of five loaves and two fish, and, and Jesus multiplied that and fed the crowd. Another time Jesus tells a, a parable about a sower who went out to sow seed, a farmer, and some seed fell on the dirt path, and some fell on the thorns, and some fell on the rocks. Then he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 20, next slide please, Trex. It won't show up. <laughs> look, look, I'm bound back to this. Like Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what's sown. Jesus said that when the gospel falls on good seed, on, on good soil, it's multiplied 30 times. 60 times, 100 times. So what do you think the multiplication factor might be that God wants to use with us? A group that's been blessed off the charts. 30 times? 60 times? 100 times? What are God's expectations of us? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not last year plus 5%. It's not a met budget. It's not smoothly running programs. I think it's off the chart. I think God's expectations are times a hundred. Whatever we might dream, God dreams much bigger. And by the way, that has nothing to do with us. Sticking with the agricultural metaphor here, you know, Paul says, I planted, but some other people watered. But make no mistake, God made it happen. God made it grow. God gave the increase. John Ortborg, a, a Christian writer, talks about a conversation he had with the head of a very large, very well-known company. And they were talking about the man's business. And the man said publicly, we talk a lot about service. We talk a lot about um, excellence. We talk a lot about quality. But privately... When we get together, we all ask ourselves the same question. By the way, all these things are very, very important. 
but privately within the corporation we're all asking the same question. And the question is, how can we put our competition out of business? Now we would never say that publicly. And you won't go on our web page and see that, uh, that our goal is to put our, co uh, our competition out of business. But he said every morning we wake up and we think, how can we outsmart? How can we outthink? How can we outstrategize? How can we outperform our competition so overwhelmingly that they just close up shop? He said that's our goal, really, to put the competition out of business. Now consider that spiritually. Who's the competition for us? And we get a little bit confused about this. We get a little bit sideways sometimes on that question. I'll tell you who the competition's not. The government is not our competition. The public school system is not our competition. Some other church is not our competition. The fellow in the row beside you, not your competition. In fact, Jesus says our competition is not flesh and blood. Jesus is going to define our competition for us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, but who do, they, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a Jesus church. This was a Jesus church long before I got here. It'll be a Jesus church long after I'm gone. Here's the deal. Jesus said, this is my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Simply put, our competition is hell. Our competition is the evil one. Our competition is the power of hell. And some people get this strange concept of the church. This concept that we're just going to hunker down and we're going to get a bunker mentality and we've got to stay safe and we've got to protect our own and we've got to be careful and we're very afraid of the powers of hell. Jesus said, not my church. My church is going to batter down the gates of hell. Hell is the competition. Satan is the competition. The work of hell is whenever the will of God is being disregarded. That's where hell is at work. That's where hell is prevailing. I'll ask another question. Is hell prevailing anywhere in our community? Every, child, every time a child is unwanted, unloved, uncared for, hell is prevailing. Every time a marriage crashes and burns, hell is prevailing. Every time someone allows their racial differences to treat someone else with disregard or with cruelty, hell is prevailing. Every time we idolize money and, and start to judge people on the size of their bank accounts, hell is prevailing. When families are broken, when morals are disregarded, when sin creates a life of shame or, or shamelessness, when hope gets trampled, when people get trashed, hell is prevailing. Our job is not a met budget. 
Our job isn't to run a program, it's not to fill a building, it's not to maintain the status quo or make sure it's business as usual. Our job is to put hell out of business. Our job is to be so consumed with Jesus, so in love with the Father, so empowered by the Holy Spirit that we become more than conquerors. That's why Jesus went to the cross on Friday. That's why He laid in the tomb on Saturday. That's why God brought Him back from the dead on Sunday. That's why Paul would say back in Philippians chapter 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul's saying, if you've gotten anything out of this Jesus experience, then understand you're in this together. And we have a purpose. We're here for a reason. We're here to make a difference. Years ago, I used to get up at 5.30 in the morning and drive down to the YMCA down here on Kingsway Road and I'd play basketball with a bunch of other old guys early in the morning. We were all well past our prime. In fact, most of us never had a prime. But it was fun. Just a bunch of old guys getting together in the mornings playing basketball. And in between one game, we were catching our breath and a fellow was sitting beside me and he said, you know what, I get worse and worse every time I play. Every time I come, I'm worse than I was the last time. And someone else said, we're all getting worse. You know, we're all on the back side of the bell curve here. And he made the comment, our goal is just, we're trying to deteriorate as slowly as possible. And everybody kind of laughed and said, yeah, that's why we're here, right? We're trying to deteriorate as slowly as possible. You know what? Deteriorating as slowly as possible, is not the dream that God has for His church. And I have zero desire to be a part of a church that's okay with just being okay. And I got zero desire to be part of a church that thinks we're just going to try to deteriorate as slowly as possible. God doesn't want that. I don't want that. I don't think you want that either. Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church and it's going to put hell out of business. That doesn't sound like a group of people who's trying to deteriorate as slowly as possible. That's why Paul would tell Timothy that God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. God's will breaks out when hell's walls break down. And I'm all for better worship services. And I'm all for a met budget. And I'm all for filling this building up and and I'm all for smoothly running programs, but that's not why we exist. We exist to bring people to Jesus. We exist to make disciples of Christ. To encourage each other. To admonish each other. To combat the forces of evil. We exist to put hell out of business. And here's the neat thing. You get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of God's dream, of God's vision. I'm not just talking about just corporately, I'm talking about individually. You get to play a part of it. Because there's someone that you know who needs Jesus. Now I say this all the time, there's someone in your life, someone you know, probably someone you love, that you are perfectly set, you're, you're perfectly qualified to share with that person.
to share the love of Jesus, to share your life, to serve, to make a difference. And if you don't, if you don't do anything, if you don't say anything, hell prevails. And Satan's winning. Jesus came, he died, he established his church to make sure that didn't happen. Last slide. So let me bring you back to the original question. How are things going to church? Remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples, talking about prayer, he said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did he really mean that? Did Jesus really mean that part of that prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that really possible? I mean, you pray that all the time. You know that prayer, right? Is that something that we really believe is possible or is that just like some religious words that, that make us feel good? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I look around myself and I, I look in our community and in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, it, it sure looks like hell is prevailing. But what if it wasn't? What if it didn't? You know, 2,000 years ago, they said about Jesus' followers, they're turning the world upside down. Boy, they're making a difference. Well, what's changed? Jesus hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed. The... The power of the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. The world's need for love and light and life, that hasn't changed. What's changed? Maybe, maybe we've changed. Maybe we need to get a little more serious about uh, putting a competition out of business. About being the kind of person, the kind of families, the kind of force that Jesus intended for us to be that allows God to work through us. Again, it's not about us. It's about allowing God to work through us. Being obedient to His Word. And it begins with you. And it begins with me. How are things going at church? we got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. As we think about what God has placed on our hearts, maybe there's something going on in your life you just really need the prayers of people who love you. Maybe you need to share with the family that loves God. If there's anything going on that is a church family, we can, we can minister with you and pray with you about see some people here at the front of the auditorium. Come and share with us and, and we'll take it to God. Let's stand and sing.